Learning Davav, we're up to Tona Rabbonon, four lines down. So that's the Gemara. So we're focusing on the Pasuk. We kind of referenced this a little bit yesterday, but we're focusing on the Pasuk from Shema, that if we do the right thing, I'll give you the rain for your land in the right time. Yoreh umalkosh. So what are these two types of rains? Yoreh umalkosh. So Yoreh and Malkosh, obviously we see from the context means the early rain and the late rain of the season. But the question is where exactly does that fall and what, where does the word come from? So the Gemara says, Tan Rabban, four lines down, Vav Manav, Tan Rabban, Yoreh, Shemore Sabrios. Lahoro, like Lahora, like you almost hear in Torah, means to instruct. It, it instructs the people. The rain instructs the people. The first rain, Latiach, I was saying, first of all, to plaster their roof, right? To, to, to winterize their home, so to speak. The Achmas is saying to bring in whatever fruit had been left out in the field. They used to leave the fruit out in the field in the summer to dry. So it's time to bring it in now. Velasquez quotes Rachim to any other needs that might come up because of the winter. So it's instructive. It's an instructive rain in the sense that it tells people what to do for the winter. Davar another explanation. Shemer Aves so in this, in this, Yorez Milashon Rava, which means saturation, meaning it gets like soaked. Mashka at home, it waters it all the way to the depths. Shenemar, Telemar, Rave, Naches, Kizudab, Rivea, Tumogna, Simcha, Tavarach. In this context, we see it's Rave, it's saturating the furrows. It's going to bring a lot of pleasure to people. And uh, we're talking about the rain, obviously. And with the showers of the rain, we're softening the, the earth and it's going to... It's going to, to give bracha in, its, in, in whatever grows. So we see in this context that there's the idea of meraves art, where it saturates the land. In this third shot, yoreh is like um, something soft, like uh, something that's, very, that's, very, that's falling in a gentle way. It's not, there's, no, there's no violence to it at all. So, so the, where do we get this? Anywhere from that the etymology of yoreh can mean softness? So we kind of struggle with it. Rashi gives, perhaps there's, a, there's an idea that Yoreh is like to shoot, to shoot an arrow. And when you shoot an arrow, it goes straight. There's no swerving to the side. It's like a straight thing. So the point is, it's like the rain falls straight. There's no heavy winds. You know, sometimes you look out the window and there's like a swirl, a swirl of the rain. That's like a heavier storm. Whereas when it's just falling, it's falling straight. That's usually like a gentler kind of type of rainfall. So that's the yora that it's falling. It's like, like someone shooting an arrow in that way. Rashi explains where it's coming gently. So bottom line is, we've had three different understandings of yora. Everyone understands that yora means that it's uh, the first rain. But what is it? Either it's malashim instruction, yora is instruction to tell people the winter is coming, or that it's lashon of ravav saturation, that it's, it's, it loosens the soil, or the third shot, that it's soft, it falls gently. Those are the three different ideas. So now the Gemara says, wait a second, you've been assuming that everything about the Yorah is good and beneficial. Oh, ain't no Eli Yorah, Shemashros, maybe it's called Yorah because it rips off the fruit that's on the tree. And in this Lashon, it can mean like to throw off, like to, you know, like to reject, like it, it, it chucks off all the fruit that's on the, that's on, that's growing on the tree. Mashif, it says rum, it washes away the seeds. Mashif, it and destroys it. Again, a destructive thing, it destroys the tree. So maybe we could say that the Lashon Yorah here is an indication that the, the rain is going to be a, a bad type of rain. So the Gemara says, Tamalom or Malkosh. Why would I say that? The Torah says it together with the word Malkosh, which is the end rain. Ma Malkosh, the Baruch, just as Malkosh is for Bracha, so, so we're assuming that Malkush for sure is for Bracha. Why? Because there's no way that Malkush could be destructive. Let's just understand a little bit about the timing of them. Yorah is in the beginning. Malkush is at the end. When I say the beginning, Yorah is the beginning of like the fall, like Cheshvan Kislev time, and Malkush is Nisan time. So the way it works with the trees is that in the spring, they're first budding, right? So there's not so much fruit that's on the tree. Whereas you could have a late 
fruit that's still on the tree when it comes time to uh, the fall. So it could be yore as a nice avamino. We're saying, how do we know that the, the rain is good? Maybe it's actually yore that it throws off the fruit from the tree. That could theoretically be possible. But the Gemara is saying no, but it says it next to Malkush. And Malkush for sure can't do that. Malkush for sure is beneficial because Malkush in the spring season, there aren't fruit already that are grown on the tree for them to be destroyed. So just as Malkush must be beneficial and it's not knocking off fruit from the tree, so to yore is beneficial. It's not doing anything that's bad. We're assuming that even though there are fruit that are on the tree in the, in the fall time, but Yorah is not that it's getting rid of them. Says the Gemara, well, wait a second. We could figure out a way that Malkush could be bad. Oh, wait, no, the Malkush, Elon Shemapo is about to. Maybe it knocks down houses. And with Shabbos, Elonus breaks trees and Malas has gone and brings up like, like locust kind of things, those kinds of plagues. So in others, we're saying, I agree that there aren't fruits for it to knock off, but it could do a lot of, inflict a lot of other damage. So how do we know that Malkush is good? So basically, we're circling them back and forth. We're trying to say Yorah is good, but then we challenge it. Hey, maybe Yorah is really bad. And the lushing of Yorah is that it just knocks off the fruits that are still on the trees in the fall. Says the Gemara, oh, well, it says it with Malkush. Malkush has to be good because there's no fruits for it to knock off. It says the Gemara, maybe Malkush is bad and it destroys houses and breaks trees. So the Gemara says, Tamil Lomar Yorah. So now we go back and we say, well, Malkush has said with Yorah. Ma Yorah the Brachos, just as Yorah is for good, I've Malkush the Brachos, so too Malkush is good. Yorah Gufam in LA, it's circular. We started off trying to figure out if Yorah was good. We said it's like, it's good because it's next to Malkush. How do we know Malkush is good? Maybe Malkush is bad. Oh, it's next to Yorah. Well, how do you know Yorah is good? So we got to figure out one of the two is good. Once we know that one of the two is good, then we can compare it to the other one. But how do we know Yorah is good? Eventually, we bring in this Pasuk in Yoel. Remember, this was the story that we looked at yesterday when the rain came. It says in the Pasuk, Children, Israel, be happy, rejoice with Hashem. He's given you more as like tzedakah, it's like charity. So we see in this Pasuk that it's like this good, beneficial thing, the Mora. So therefore, we understand now that Mora is good, and now by, by the juxtaposition, Malkush is also good, uh, a good type of rain. Now, I was, I was just like bothered by this Gemara that, that, that shouldn't we say that it's obvious that they're good? Because in the context of the Pasuk Malkush, the Torah is saying, if you listen and do good. So Hashem is responding with reward. So obviously, Yorah and Malkush in the Pasuk, you would think would be good, right? What's the Hafamina here to think that maybe they're bad? So I think in a Hanami, it's not that the Gemara is challenging what the meaning is in the Pasuk in Shema. It's more that the Gemara is challenging what the meaning of the word is. Meaning, are the words Yorah and Malkosh, which are describing, again, early and, rate, rain, and rain, early and late rainfalls, we want to know if the etymology of the word necessarily indicates a good thing or not. And that was the question. Obviously, in the Pasuk and Shema, we see that it's being used as a reward. And we know that, that it means Hashem's going to send rain and it's a good thing. But is the word itself, in the meaning of the word, indicate that it's a good thing? Or perhaps the word itself could tolerate that it could sometimes be detrimental as well. That's what the Gemara is trying to figure out. So the Gemara had this possibility that Yorah has such a, a strong wind that maybe it knocks off fruit that is still there, and Malkush might be so severe that it might destroy a house, you know, theoretically. And then what's, what the Gemara is coming out is that, no, the very word, the very meaning of the word Yorah, and the very meaning of the word Malkush has that connotation of something positive. All right, so now the Gemara discusses what the times for the Yorah and what the time for the Malkush is. Taner Rabbanon, Yorah, the Yorah rains come in Cheshvan time. Well, Malkosh ben Nisan. And the Malkosh rains come at the end of the season in Nisan. You're saying that it's specific to Cheshvan and Nisan. How do you know? We know it's early and late, but how do you know it's particularly those months? Oh, Enoela, Yorah betishrei. Umalkosh be er. Maybe Yorah is in Tishrei and Malkosh is in Er. So maybe, maybe it was a little bit 
further off. Now, this is an interesting thing, what the Gemara is asking, because at this point, um, usually we kind of assume by ear the karap has already been cut, right? Usually we assume that Pesach is Chag Katsir. So it's interesting that the Gemara thinks that as late as, um, as late as ear is when the Malkos will come. So it's an interesting thing. You know, it sounds, it sounds like there, there is still some of it in ear, there is still some crop which is not reaped yet. That's what it seems like. And that's why the Gemara is challenging. How do you know it was Nisan? Maybe it's really Yor. And the same thing with Yor. How do you know Yor is coming only in Cheshwan? Maybe Yor is a month earlier in Tishrei. So the Gemara says, Tamil Lomar Pi'ito. The Torah says, I'm going to give it to you in the right time, the proper time. So in the most beneficial time. So it's not that it wouldn't work and it's not that it wouldn't have a benefit, but it's not the most... Uh, the most beneficial. The most beneficial would be Cheshvan and Nisan. And the reason is because Cheshvan, you've already brought in all pretty much of your, of your stuff into your house. So it's not bad for any of the stuff that's still left. That's A. And B, and so now it's just good for the next new planting season. And Nisan time, it's good for that to be the last rain because from ear time already, you would like and prefer to start leaving things out in the field to dry out. So therefore, the most beneficial time would be Yore and Tishrei and Malkosh, Yore and Cheshwan and Malkosh in Nisan. Now, we discussed three meanings already of Yore. Now the Gemara wants to discuss the meaning of the word Malkosh. Malkosh, what's the root of the word? It's Mal, which means like, you know, Milashon Mila. Mila means to, to remove, like to peel away. So it peels away the stubbornness, the hardness of Kla Yisrael, meaning Kla Yisrael has a lot of pride and stubbornness. So what happens is that it's very hard for us to humble ourselves in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But Mal Kosh, the rain, is Mal, it peels away our stubbornness. Because what happens? We need it so badly. If there were ever reason the Mal Kosh doesn't come, so what happens? Then we right away, we'll do teshuva and we'll fast and we'll try to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's the very meaning of the word, is that the rain peels away our uh, stubbornness. It's to be full. It fills up the cash. It fills up the stalks with grain. So in other words, it's like growing, but the final extra uh, fullness in the, in, the, in the grain, that comes from the late rains. It falls on melilos. Those are ears, the ears of the stalks, and then the stalks themselves. So here, the lushan of mal is like lushan melila, which is the, the ears of the, of the crop. Okay, so now we discuss again a little bit more about the times. We keep on saying Yorah is Cheshvan rain. Malkosh is Nisan Atam. You're saying Yorah is Cheshvan. Maybe it's actually later. Maybe it's only Kislev time. And we're going to see actually that there's one Tanu who does, who does hold that the Yorah comes a little bit later in Kislev. It says in the right time, Yorah Malkosh. Chosen Malkosh will fall in the proper time in Nisan. That's the time that we want it the most when the ears and stalks are in the field and it's a rain that's going to fall on the ears and the stalks, right? That's the echo time. So we say, Av Yorvi Ito. So too, we assume Yorav should be in the most beneficial time, which is in Mar Cheshvan. So that's, and, we, and, and so now we understand that the most beneficial time for the Yorav would be Cheshvan. So we assume that's when it's falling. Now we see, not so simple. Yo, the Yorav, which we're calling the early rain, I want to be clarified just before we start the next thing. Don't get confused about this. It's not one rainfall. Right, Yorah is the early rains, but the early rains are, are made up, they're composed, they're composed of different specific rainfalls, right? In other words, it means the, this, the, the season of the early rains, and we're trying to figure out if it's in Cheshvan or not. So now the Gemara is going to get into some more detail about the different fragments of the Yorah. 
So there is Yorah, but that just indicates that it's the time for early rains. But there are different pieces of the Yorah. So Tanya Yidach, Yorah, Machashon, Makosh, Benizah, and Divir, Rebbe, Meir, Vachamom, Yorah, Bikislev. Tanakamu is saying the way we've been saying in Tono, Yorah is in Chashon, Makosh, and Nisan, Nachacham, saying no. Yorah could fall as late as Kislev. So the Gemara says, Man Chachamim, who is this Chachamim? Amar Rav Chista Rav Yossi, it's the opinion of Rav Yossi. The Tanya says in a Brayta, "Ezu Revia Rishona." What is the first Revia? So Revia here means this fragment, right? So the Yore is, is, is has three different pieces to it, three different Revias. Each rainfall is called a Revia. So it's not against Yore; it's just a part of Yore. So there are three parts of it. So what's the first Revia of Yore? So the first one is as third is as early as the third of Cheshvan. That's when the, the ideal time for it. Benonis, the middle one, Beshivabo is the seventh of Cheshvan. And Afela, the late one, is Beshivasarbo. That's the seventeenth of Cheshvan. Divri Rebbe Meir. That's where Meir's opinion. So three, seven, and seventeen of Cheshvan. Rebbe Yehuda Omer, no. Beshiva. The first one is the seventh, the middle one is the 17th, and the last one is the 23rd. So his opinion is that it's a little bit later in the month of Cheshvan. Rabbi Yosi Omer, the first one is 17th, second one on the 23rd, and the last one is Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So if the rain doesn't come, when do we start actually fasting? The pious people would only start fasting when Rosh Chodesh Kislev comes, because if that's the expected time for the third part of the Yorah rainfall, and it still hasn't rained, that's when we start getting very nervous and we start fasting. So according to the other Tanaim, the fast would begin earlier. The fast would begin whenever the time for the third rainfall, the third part of Yorah came and it didn't happen, that's when the Echidim would start fasting. Rabbi Yossi holds that the end time for Yorah, the last part of Yorah is Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So he would say that the Echidim would only start fasting by Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So we have two, three different parts of Yorah. The first part, which is indication now, I want to know, like for example, when do I start asking for rain? I want to start seeing my request for saying Tal Matar, at, certainly at the time that, 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 that it's supposed to rain. So we have one opinion that's saying it's as early as the third of Cheshwan, one opinion is that, that it's the 17th, that it's the seventh, and one opinion that it's the 17th. And then we have the last part, which is, you know, when do we start getting very nervous? Is it, according to Rameyer, 17? Is it 23? According to Rabbi Yudah, according to Rabbi Yossi, it's as late as Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So now the Gemara Paskin is Amar Chista Halachik Rabbi Yosi. We Paskin like Rabbi Yosi. So that means that the last part of Yorah is Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Amir Masal Rav Chista Balishna. He taught a little bit differently. He taught it on the following Mishnah. We start on the third of Cheshvan, requesting rain. Rabbi Gamliel Lomer Rabbi Shivabo. It's the seventeenth of the seventh of Cheshvan. Amar Chista Halachik Rabbi Gamliel. We Paskin like Rabbi Gamliel. So it's a very big difference. Why? Because in the first version, when we were Paskin like Rabbi Yosi. So that would mean the first rain is first the 17th. Whereas in the second version that we're poskening, like Rabbi Gamliel, that would be like Rabbi Yehuda, that the first rain is the 7th of Cheshvan. So in other words, you're definitely going to start saying the same Talmatar at the time of the first part of Yorah. Is the first part of Yorah the 7th, or is it only the 17th? So this is a machlokas, right? So if he's saying in the first version, he said, Allah Rabbi Yossi, he would say, he would say, Vesein Talmatar only comes on the 23rd of Cheshvan. But if now we're saying that Allah is Rabbi Gamliel on the 7th, that would indicate that we actually expect the Yorah rain then. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. I emphasize this when we learned Daftalit, but just to reiterate what we discussed. The Gemara and Daftalit seemed to say that really, according to Rabbi Yochanan's view, Mashavaruach and Vesein Talamatar should both be recited right after Sukkot. Remember, Rabbi Yochanan said a psaq that we passed in Mashavaruach Mardagesh and Mizan Shemini And Rabbi Yochanan also said a psaq that at the time when, when we initiate Mashavaruach, we also initiate Vesein Talamatar. And the Gemara was coming out that the Mishnah here that was saying we only start saying St. Talmatra on day three of Cheshun or day seven was only maybe the Oli Regolim, it was only maybe in Bavel. 
different reasons why you wouldn't start as early. But if you look at our Gemara here today, it really seems very different. The approach of our Gemara seems to be that you start saying the same Talmud or whenever it's the time for the Yorah. And it seems that the time for the Yorah isn't until Cheshvan. Right? As late, according to the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, is the 17th of Cheshvan. So that's Kimat a month off from the way it was presented to us on Davdalad. The way it was presented to us on Daftalat is that the time to initiate the St. Talmater is, is, is at Shemini Atzeres. Here we have, according to one view that we pass in, like Rabbi Yossi, the initiation of the request for rain would come first at the time of the first Yorah. So it seems a little bit off. And as we see, we explore, and finally on Daf Yod, we'll see that we really don't pass in like that conclusion from Daftalat. All right. Says the Gemara Kavana, Hazal Tanya, who does it go like what we just see in the following Brisa? It says in the Brisa, Imagine you have rains for seven days straight. A seven day straight rainfall. It's such a long rainfall that it has in it both the first part of it, of Yorah, and the second part of Yorah, or vice versa. It could have even the second and third part, meaning a seven-day rainfall is long enough that it could be either the first and second part of the of Yorah or the second and third part of Yorah, depending on when it fell. So meaning all you need is a seven-day rainfall. Come on, Karabiosi. It's like Rabiosi. Why? Because what were Rabiosi's dates? 17, 23, and Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So that's very gishmak because both intervals are seven days. So if it rained for seven days straight, it could theoretically cover one through two or two through three. Either... Depends if it came 17 through 23, it would cover one and two. If it came 23, then it would include two and three. But that statement could only be true according to Rabbi Yossi. Why? Let's go through the other opinions. Remeyer was three, seven, 17. So three and seven are within seven days, but seven and 17 are 10 days. So you can't necessarily say that a seven day rainfall would get you the second and third parts of Yorah. And in Rabbi Yehuda, what was it? 7, 17, 23. So 7, 17 doesn't work. So the only opinion that seven days could catch, get both either one and two or two and three is only Rabiosi's opinion. So come on, Kerbiosi. That's like Rabiosi. Okay, continues the Gemara of Chesalach like Rabiosi. Again, we pass on like Rabiosi. The three Yorah rainfalls are expected 17, 23, and Rishkodesh Keslev. Fine. Now the Gemara wants to know why are we so into figuring out when the Yorah is expected? Bishlam, Revere, or Lishal. I understand the significance of knowing the first part of the Yorah to know when you start saying the same Talamata. Is it, you know, like we're saying, the, the, day three, day seven, day 17, I have to know when to start saying the same Talamata. Shlishes, Lizanos. I also know why it's important to know the end, the last part of Yorah, the third part, because I have to know, you know, when is it, when am I scared that we have to start fasting? As we said, according to Rabbi the people only start fasting by Rosh Chodesh Kislev, the Tanam would say earlier. But Shnia Lemai, what significance is it to know when we expect the second part of Yorah? Says the Gemara, it makes a difference for Nidar. It says in the Mishnah, somebody says, I take a vow, you know, I'm not going to get benefit from somebody or some, some item. And he says, until the rains. He doesn't say specifically what date the nether should terminate. He says, until the rains. So he say, or if he said from when the rain falls, whatever, it's until the Riyashniya. And what's the Pshat? The Pasha Pshat is, is that since you said Gishamim in the plural, so it means the second rainfall of the year. So that's why we need to know when the second part of Yorah comes. Now, the big Shail on the Rishonim is, does that mean until the second rain comes? Or does it just mean until the Zmat? In other words, let's say for whatever reason it doesn't rain. But you're Rabbi Yossi, right? So the second rainfall is expected on the 23rd of Cheshvan. 
What is the Gemara saying? Is the Gemara saying that the person's nether is over in the 23rd of Cheshvan? Or is the Gemara saying that's when it's expected to be over? But when, if it rains, the point is that the second rain actually has to come. So it could be that it's really only the time. And there is, it really depends, you know, if, you had, if your nether has nothing to do with rain, then we shouldn't assume it has anything to do with rain. But if it has to do with rain, then maybe it does. You know, let's say a guy says, I'm not going to wear shoes, I'm not going to have any benefit from shoes until the rains come. So there, that might have something very specific to do with rains, right? Once it gets muddied outside, you're going to want shoes. Then maybe it does have to do with the second rain. But if I say I'm not going to get benefit from a person until the rains, well, your nether has nothing to do with the rain. So maybe we just assume that's a time frame. It's not about the rain actually coming. That's an interesting Shiloh here that we showed him grapple with. But either way, the zman of the rains would be the second rainfall. So in Akhanami, if a person wouldn't say rains, if you would say until the rain, then it would be the first rainfall, presumably. Says the Gemara, another, another halacha where the second rainfall is important. Rabzvid Omar Lazaysen, to know about the din of the olives. It says in the Mishnah, a Mishnah in Peah. So again, the Mishnah is talking about Manasaniyam. When you own a field, you have to um, leave gifts to the poor. Leka, Chichel, Peah. Uh, we have parrot, ololos, all these things have to be given to the poor. What time is even the wealthy people allowed to come to collect? Meaning you leave it for the poor. The poor come and take. At some point, we got to say that whatever is left could be given to anybody. So we say, when the rummagers have gone through the field, we'll see what that means. But it means a group of people who walk through in a very like thorough way. They're methodically looking for anything. So if they went through the field and they didn't take, then they'll, then they'll, anyone can take. But Paragolos, what about when are the wealthy allowed to take Paragolos? When the poor went through the vineyard, they returned and went through it again. So that, at that point, the poor people are miyayish and getting anything else. Again, this is the idea. The idea is, is that once it's been thoroughly you know, searched for things, so at that point, all the poor people are miyayish and never getting anything more. So that's why anybody's allowed to get it from that point on. One of the other wealthy people allowed to take the Shechan Peah from Allah's and the second rainfall comes. Why? Because we assume everything has been collected by then. So that's why we want to know at what is the time of the second rainfall. My Nimushos, what is the terminology of Nimushos? Old people who walk with a cane. So they're very slow, right? That's the point. They're going to examine the ground very slowly. People walk quickly, they walk in a rush. Right, the youth wasted over here. So they're going to go as quickly as they can through the field and hop. So they miss things, right? They make mistakes. But the old people, they might go very slow, but it's more probable they're going to get everything. So once the old people went and they still, for whatever reason, didn't get it, then anyone's allowed to take those who go after those who go. Meaning like, if you have a team of people, like Rashi gives an example of a father and a son. The father goes first, and the son picks up whatever the father leaves behind. So once the team goes by and they didn't get, then anyone can take. Says the Gemara, third nafkimina, where the second rainfall is important. Rapapa Amar, to know when you're allowed to walk on the paths, right? Yehoshua made a takana that privately owned Eretz Yisrael. If you own a field in Eretz Yisrael, you have to allow the public to walk there. That was the takana. Let's say the public wants to take a shortcut through your private field in the summer, you're allowed to do that because it's a little bit like let the people walk there. Why not? What do you care? But during the winter, of course, you don't have to let them because their walking there is going to damage the crops that you're trying to grow. So when does when is it too late for when when are you able to stop them? Anyone's allowed to go on these permitted paths until the second rainfall because then we assume it's not yet harmful to the crops that are growing. But at that point, it would damage the newly grown crop grain. So we say at this at the time of the the second rainfall and on, that's when you can block the people out of walking on the paths. Says the Gemara, a fourth nafkimina of knowing the second rainfall. To know when you have to get rid of the Shemitah stuff. 
So let's just give a little introduction here so we make sure we know what the halacha is. During Shemitah, everything is hefker, right? You have to be mafkarit, anybody come and take it. So everybody goes and they take it, they take it home. But there's a halacha in the Torah called or shviyas. or means that you don't have forever to make use of it. The Torah says you make use of it, but only for a specific time. After a certain time comes, then at that point you have to make declare it ownerless again. The idea behind this, we connect to the halacha a little bit, is that even when you take it in a half Baruch Hu wants you to remember that it's shviyas stuff. It has kedusha. It's not fully yours. So you have it. You have the ability to consume it by a certain time frame. But after a certain time frame, you can't just hold on to it regularly like an owner. So what do you, there, there, what is the time frame? So the halacha is that it's, it depends when it's still out in the field. If I took it home, I could still hold it in my storehouse as long as it's still available out in the field. Once it stops to be available in the field, then I can no longer hold it regularly like an owner in my home. So you have to figure out each species that you took, when is it still available in the field? So the Mishnayos in Shviyas, it's very interesting, like a whole long list of Mishnayos, you know, are the apples are still out in the field until now, and then so on and so forth. So we look at a Mishnah here. What about stubble and straw? Stubble and straw that you take, which obviously is animal food, by the way, but animal food has Kedusha Shviyas. Right? You have to remember that. Animal food has Kedusha Shviyas. So how long are you able to benefit from it and hold it by you regularly in your house? Obviously until it's available in the field. But how long is it available in the field? Until the second rainfall comes in the beginning of the eighth year. Why? Because whatever is left sitting around in the field, do you know what the rain is going to do to it? It will break it down. It will decompose and rot. So basically, until the second rainfall of the eighth year, you can keep whatever straw and stubble that you took from the Shemitah. But after that point, now it's the time of beer, you got to make it ownerless and get it out of your house. My time, or where does this whole idea come from? So the Gemara gives you the positive. What is Shemitah? For you, for your animals, and the beasts, for the chayos that are in your land. So the Torah is comparing you and your animals enjoying it with the wild animal in the field. As long as there's still Shemitah stuff available for the Chai in the field to eat, you could feed your domestic animal in the house, or you yourself, you could enjoy it in your house. But once it comes to time that there's no longer food from Shemitah, which is available to the Chai in the field, and you have to remove it from your house as well. You have to do or you got to get it out of your house. So we're saying that the second rainfall is the time that the stubble and the straw is now no longer available out in the field. Okay, so now you're not going to be able to use it regularly in your house. Fine. Now that we've done that, we figured out four nafkaminas of the rainfall. What were the four nafkaminas of the second rainfall? Nidarim. To know when you're allowed to go, anyone can go take the olives after that pour. The third was to know when you could block out people from walking on a private path in your field. And the fourth one is to know for beer of the straw and the stubble. All right, now the Gemara gets back. What is a revia? Again, we discussed the Lushan of Yorah, we discussed Malkosh, but we had a different terminology here. Revia. Revia is the different parts of the Yorah. So, what's the Lushan of Revia? We view it from like a sexual perspective, where it's like a penetration. Of the ground. And the Gemara says, Rain is the husband of the ground, of the soil. Very interesting, like metaphoric word here. Just as rain comes down and snow from the sky. It doesn't go back. It saturates the earth. What's the Lashon? It makes it give birth. Right? Vaholida makes the ground give birth. So we see that lushing there in the Pasuk and Yeshaya of an expression from the more of a sexual perspective. So now we understand that lushing Revia came from there. It says the Gemara Amar Abavo, 
more about the rain. Revia, we showed in the first rain, when is it enough? It penetrates uh, 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 one tafach down into the soil. Shnia, the second Revia, it makes it so muddied that you can cover the opening of a barrel, meaning the soil is so moist that it's soft enough that you can make a cover for a barrel out of it. If the rain fell so much that the, 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 the soil is now moist enough that you could cover a barrel, then it's no longer a part of the curse of meaning the Pasuk says that if we don't do the right thing, Hashem is upset, he withholds the heavens, there won't be rain. So what happens if it rains just a little bit? So that's still part of Atzar. You don't have sufficient rainfall. But if it rains so much, that it's at least moist enough that you can form the cover of a barrel from the soil, then at that point, it's no longer subject to the curse of the Atzar. Now the Gemara continues more on this curse of the Atzar. If a little bit of rain fell before the time to say Shema, in other words, before the people are saying Shema, it rained just a little bit, it's no longer the curse of Atzar, meaning even if it's just a little bit of a rain that came before his man of Kriyashma, it's not a problem, though. it's no longer Atzar. Before Atzar at night, meaning that the rain fell during the day. So even if it didn't seem that so much rain fell, but if it came before the Kriyashma at night, it came during the day, then it's good rain, it's no longer a curse. If a little bit of rain came before Shema in the morning, meaning it rained a little bit at night, it could be a still a curse. Meaning rain at night doesn't do as much as rain during the day. Rain during the day, even just a minimal amount of rain has a much bigger effect, more beneficial effect than a little bit of rain at night. Where do we get this from? Let's say you see some clouds in the early morning. Early morning meaning before dawn. There's no blessing in them. They're worthless. What should I do for you? Your goodness is as good as a morning cloud. Meaning, Akash Baruch was saying, there's no substance to what you're doing, you then Ephraim. You're no better than a little early morning cloud. Early morning, pre-dawn, those clouds do nothing. So the rain that comes, a little rain at night, is not so substantial. We need the day type of rain. Says the Gemara, is that true? What about what people say? People say, if rain falls when the gates are open, meaning in the very early morning, a donkey driver should fold up his sack and go to sleep. Meaning that what? There's going to be so much produce that will come from a good morning rain that the donkey driver is not going to get any profit from selling their grain. The donkey drivers, they pedal. That's what they do. They get moved produce around and they sell it. So if there's a lack, if there's a shortage of grain in the world, they're going to make a lot of money. If there's a ton of grain, they're not going to make money. So if there's a morning rain, then what should you do? Go to sleep. Just take the day off because anyways, you're not going to profit. You're not going to make, because there's going to be so much abundance of grain. So we see here that an early morning rain, pre-dawn rain is very good. So it's a contradiction. It says, it depends. If it's a thick cloud, if it's a thin cloud. So if they're, they're substantial and beneficial if they're thick clouds. But if they're weak clouds and it's early morning, then it's not. So basically, what are we coming out? That even thin clouds, a little bit of rain, if it's during the day, it's beneficial. At night, pre-dawn, eh, no significance at all. Thick clouds are beneficial even if they come at nighttime. Says the Gemara Amar of Happy is the year when Tevis is a widow. When Tevis is a widow, it doesn't have her husband. Remember, what's the husband of the soil? The rain. So when it doesn't rain in Tevis, that's good. It's good for it not to rain there. What's Pshad? It's good because the, the places where we learn Torah are, are not empty. Meaning, it's very hard to travel if it's too muddy. So if it rains through Cheshvan and, and Kislev, 
And now in Tevis, it continues to rain, it's going to become so overly muddy that people aren't going to leave their homes. People aren't going to travel. So if people aren't going to travel, then the Batei Mitrashim are going to be empty. So it's actually good if it doesn't rain so much in Tevis, that way people are able to go learn Torah. means Because the crop is not going to be affected by, by some sort of... Um, Plague called Shudfana. Shudfana is like some sort of thing mixed with like the, the heavy winter storms which come during Tevez. So we'd, we'd be better off without those storms. Says the Ini, is this true that it's good if it doesn't rain in Tevez? It's actually good if Tevez is very bad. Like it's all, it's all totally, you know, muddied and mixed up. Like it's good. So the Gemara says, Lokash, also Mitra Mikar. It depends. If it had already rained before that in Cheshron and Kislev, then it's good. If it doesn't rain in Tevis. Ah, the low, also Mitra Mikar. When we say it's good if it rains in Tevis, we mean if it hadn't rained enough before. Another statement from Rechis about the rain. What if it rains in only part of a country? It rains on one part, the other part doesn't get rain. Is that a curse? Or is that good? So the Gemara says, It's not necessarily a curse. Why? Because the produce that will come in the water part will be enough to feed everybody. So it's not necessarily a curse. If as long as it rains in one part, it's okay. It says here in the Pasuk and Amos, I'm going to withhold rain from you. When there's yet three months to, to, to go to the reaping. So meaning we still need rain and Hashem says I'm going to withhold it. from I might bring rain to one city, but I'm not going to bring it to another city. One portion will be rained upon one not. So the Pasuk is saying two things. First of all, I'm not going to give you rain when you need it. And second of all, even when I give rain, I'm only going to give it on one portion. The Amar of Yudam Arav, of Yudam Arav said, Shtei and Laklala. Both aspects in the Pasuk are a curse. Meaning it's a curse not to get rain at all. And it's also a curse if it only rains on one part. So it's a contradiction. We said, we said that if it rains on one part of the country, it's not a curse because the produce from one part could supply for everybody. But here, Rav Yudam Arav is saying that when it rains on only one part, it's a curse for everybody. So the Gemara explains Lokash, Alda Asa Duva, depends if it comes too much. Meaning, if let's say what happens is it doesn't rain in one part of the country and in the other part of the country, it's excessive rain. So that's bad. Why? Because this, the, the extra rain is just going to ruin the crop. So in one country, in one part, there's just no rain and in the other part, there's too much rain so you don't end up with any grain. That's a curse. Whereas Chisna's statement that it's not a curse is where it came in one part of the country in the amount that's good for it. So you get produce in that part of the country. Then, even though it doesn't have another part of the country, you'll be okay. You see it good in the puzzle. This is Timater. It says that in one portion, it's going to be rained on. It's going to be excessive parts of rain. Meaning all it's going to be is a place of rain. That we're talking about too much rain in one place, that's where it's a curse. When does one make the bracha over rain? So the Gemara makes an assumption that when it rains, you make a bracha. So this comes from the Gemara and brachos, that there's a bracha. First of all, there might be a but then there's also this whole extra thing, a special nusach that we recite um, for rain. Now, it says already in Shulchan that we only make the bracha if it was like a lack of rain and it was a special thing and it didn't rain and then it starts raining. And so this is uh, an interesting thing. But Lamaisa, obviously, it's only in Eretz Yisrael and it has to bring simcha. You have to know practically whether or not whether we make this bracha. But definitely, there is such a concept of making a bracha over rain. So how much water has to fall for us to make the bracha? When the chasan goes to greet the kala. What does that mean? Again, following the metaphor, that there's puddles and there's so much rain that there's puddles. So when the rain, another raindrop falls, it's like that bounces up. So they're meeting each other. We, we're grateful for every drop. Even if our mouths are full of the song like the sea, our tongue is full of song like the waves. 
We continue going like we know this from Nishmas, right? Hashem should never forsake us. You've never forsaken us. And finally, we conclude, Baruch Rov Haudos. Blessed is Hashem who gives us Rov Haudos, most of the things that we thank Him for. Says the Gemara, Rov Haudos, Velokol Haudos, isn't everything from Hashem? We just say it's the, Hashem is the God that gives us what to be grateful for. Amar Papa, Hilkov, since there's a machlokas, how to conclude the bracha, what do we do? We should say everything. Never know what you say both. Kelodos, virovodos. Very, very interesting. Lamaisa, well, it's interesting. It's like rovodos can be understood in two ways. We understood it means majority of. So the Gemara was like saying that makes no sense. Hashem gets everything. But rovodos, besides being majority, rov can mean like, like a lot of. A lot of reasons to, be, to, to thank Hashem. Not most of the things, but a lot of. So if you just say Rav Hodos, it might be the wrong impression. But if you say Kel Hodos, then you could also say Rav Hodos, and it would get uh, a beautiful thing for Hashem.